Hello Woodworms, I'm Ray Defterius and this is the Hand Tool Book Review, the podcast for people who love woodwork and love reading about woodworking too. So you've read the other book on workbenches and you want more, or you've got your heart set on a shaker workbench or a knockdown laminate top. Personally I'm hoping you don't want to build a torsion box, but if you are, the analysis in this book might just help you decide about that. Regardless, if you're one of those woodworkers who is reluctant to build a Roubaix or Nicholson, well, today's book is a deeper dive into the rabbit hole of how to build the perfect workbench. If you haven't listened to episode 18, I suggest you listen to that first. Workbenches, the book that's the subject of episode 18, is a complementary book to today's book. I'd suggest you listen to both episodes to decide if you need only one of them or both of them. Anyway, Today's book is The Workbench Design Book by Christopher Schwarz, and this book is in my opinion the best book for critically analysing potential workbench designs. Before we get into the book, I'd like to thank Crow Hollow Workshop for his increased Patreon pledge. Brett, you'll be happy to know that as a result of your pledge I'm putting together a video about my workshop and tools, and it'll be published to the Patreon shortly. It'll be exclusive to you guys for a couple of weeks, so you'll get an interesting view on what goes on behind the channel. The next few books I'm going to be reviewing feature tool reviews, so hopefully this will help contextualize how I'm working. I'll be opening it up to general views later, but it's only possible because of your Patreon support. Thanks again. Also received a wonderful email from John Sunnyguard that had some really interesting experiences with woodworking in developing countries in my region. John, your thoughtful and detailed email made my day. Thanks very much. And Kevin, your suggestions that I need to review a book about wood it's coming soon, I promise. Andre, Giuseppe, Peter, and everyone else who drops suggestions and questions, I've always enjoyed interacting with you guys and getting your view on what you think I should be doing. One book that Peter and I discussed is Handsaw Essentials, the companion book to Hand Plane Essentials. I like the book, and if you can get it for anything remotely resembling the original list price of $36, I'd suggest you grab it. At the same time, if like me you had to drop closer to $200 for the book secondhand, I'd suggest giving it a skip. I'm a fan of Christopher Shaw's, but I'd suggest a maximum price of around, I don't know, 50 to $60 tops for this. At some point I'll do a proper PSA episode on it, but until I do, that's my suggested range of value for this book. So without any further distractions, let's dive into today's book. I think that possibly the best way to position the book is to read a quote from the beginning of the book. The real impetus for this book came from a grumpy old man who wanted his money back. He had purchased workbenches from design and theory to construction and use and was disappointed that the book had plans for only two workbenches. He had expected at least a dozen. At first I tried to defend my book and I explained that the core idea of the book was that you could take the principles in it and create something that was suitable to your work, customized with the work holding you need as you grew as a woodworker. He was ready for that answer. The most important thing a photographer can do is photograph, and making thousands of bad photographs is no disgrace as long as 1. you make a few good ones too, and 2. you can tell the good from the bad. In many ways this book is a book that will teach you to critically assess a workbench for your needs and against other designs. This may or may not be necessary. I cannot open up the engine of my car and tune it, but I drive a SUV at moderate speeds on, well, generally good roads. Understanding the benefits of different tyre patterns is wasted on me. 
On the other hand, my friend Antonio often goes on really rough roads and does a lot of 4x4ing, far from help if things go wrong. So while both of us need a car, I can read a car magazine review and go from there. He's got a snorkel. If you consider your workbench to be something that you need to build furniture, that you'll build one and get on with it. Stop here. If, however, you consider the workbench to be a piece of furniture in its own right, that you need to customize to be perfect, well, this book will get you there. So let's consider some of the styles that are covered in the book. There's an 18th century bench, the Holzapfel, an LVL workbench, 21st century workbench, shaker workbench, 24-hour workbench, power tool workbench, $280 workbench, bulletproof workbench, knockdown workbenches. Inside these benches we get ones with twin screws, laminated wood, one with a tool tray, one with storage cupboards under the work surface, a pattern maker's vice, fast ones, cheap ones, small ones, you name it, they're there. There are also chapters on a few related topics, which I'll cover off first as I feel they have some general relevance. The most important is rules of workbenches. I think that reading and really understanding this chapter is basically essential to not getting your own design horribly wrong. The reason that they are such an important checklist is that they serve as a sanity check against the distilled experiences of Chris's workbench builds and it seems like he's put together far more than anyone should reasonably aspire to in the course of one woodworking career. There are just under 20 rules to consider and I won't say follow because in some cases compromises in one area are required if another principle is followed to its absolute. They are not generally contradictory so I think it's reasonable to try and satisfy most of them and they will give you a checklist to make sure your design is not fundamentally flawed because of an oversight in design. Stretching the car example a bit. It's a bit like choosing a car and asking, can I fit everyone in? What if the in-laws are coming with? Can I park it at work? Now obviously, if you've got a tight parking bay at work and you want to get a minivan, something has to give. But if you didn't have a list that included considering your work parking, you might find yourself relegated to parking on the street after you bought the, air quotes, perfect car. Some of these rules are pretty obvious. Always overbuild your bench because for hand tools mass is your friend and 500 pound benches don't move in the same way as workmates do when you're playing on top of them. Other rules are a bit more subtle, like the rules about vice placement, bench height and dog holes. In particular, pay attention to the rules on storage and the rule about finishing. Nobody wants to build a masterpiece and then chase a piece of wood around their workbench because they made it look fantastic. I'm not going to read the list, but I think the rules are worth reading at the start of the book, where they're positioned, and again at the end of the book, before you set pen to paper for your design. And then, probably for a third time when you finalized your design, just to check you haven't inadvertently had a good idea in the design process that broke something else. Upgrading your workbench is a fun chapter. Chris starts by discussing how often and how exactly you should go about flattening a worktop. There are some simple and some complex solutions here. I'm probably not going to build a router sled anytime soon, but if you're unfamiliar with the technique, you'll find this interesting. Upon rereading this chapter, one thing that jumped out at me was the tip for keeping winding sticks in focus if you're going to use a jack and jointed plane to flatten the top. Unfortunately, I guess I'm getting to that age where the eyes are just starting to give a bit. And this was a useful tip. Bench jacks and dead men were also discussed in this chapter, and I think that if you are regularly working on wide long stock, one of these solutions is a good addition to your bench. In addition, there are a range of solutions for protecting your worktop, 
from sharpening stations to glue-up tops. Vice blocks were another concept I was not familiar with before I read the book. You might find that if you make one of these and hang it, or I guess store it next to the vice, that it'll improve your clamping immeasurably. It's also handy that one of them will handle three different thicknesses of stock, so you should not need to make more than a few of these. Bench dogs and wonder dogs are up next, and there's some helpful jigs for making sure your holes are perpendicular to the top. Tail vices, planing and sanding stops are discussed, and I really like the adjustable height planing stop design. However, unfortunately, if like me you butt the short end up against the wall, it's not going to be possible to copy Chris's design exactly, but for a freestanding bench, it's fantastic. I like to think I've kept true to the spirit of this by chopping a recessed screw-driven planing stop into my bench. Again, probably one of those examples where a feature I like was customised to suit me. After all, the title of the book is about designing benches. It's not a set of plans for benches. The title of this book is a very deliberate choice in my opinion. There's also a whole chapter on wall-hung tool racks. Chris takes us through his personal journey with them, and if you are interested in this form of storage, there are a range of helpful solutions and details that might convince you to go this route. Personally, this is my default storage option, so this chapter felt like the author kicking an already open door. But even though I have a whole wall full of storage, I like the corbel design and the slotted bracket solution. I'm going to try that sometime on one of my next storage accessories. Chapter 18 is a chapter called Workbenches Before and After. In it, Chris discusses how he received a number of emails and offers his critiques on each of the proposed benches. Basically, he reworks 10 common designs to fix what he thinks are the major flaws with them. In a way, if you consider the rest of the book to be the study material, this chapter is a final exam to see if you've got the concepts right. Take a look at each of the proposed designs, critique it in terms of the rules, mark your suggested changes, and then compare your answers and suggestions to Chris's. If you're getting close to his identified problems and solutions, heck, even if you're just getting 80% of them, you've probably grasped most of what the book has to offer. Chapter 15 is called Advancements in Workholding, and by the author's own admission, it's a tacked-on section to talk about advancements since the original publication of the first edition of the book. Commercial wood screw vices, chain vices, the Benchcrafter glide vice, Hovato, Quick release tail vice, insert vice, you name it, they're there. Wonder dogs, bench blades, modern holdfast manufacturers, they're all covered. I guess by its nature, this is a chapter that could do with supplementation the day after purchase, but it seems to be a comprehensive update on the majority of the mainstream options that there are in this space. In particular, I like Chris's exploration of the Moxon vice and his tips for getting the best out of thread boxes if you're going to make your own wood screws. There's another chapter on knockdown workbenches. I guess in essence this chapter boils down to two pieces of advice. Don't do it or do it once. Or alternatively, be prepared to tighten periodically. I think the lessons and suggestions in here are helpful, although that's just my reading of it. To date, both of my benches have been permanent fixtures and are pretty immovable. The one major function that a bench does not excel at is the breaking down of stock. Fortunately, there's another chapter that tells you how to go about building your own $5.87 saw bench. I'm not sure that this price is still accurate, but the point's well taken. You can make an affordable appliance that'll allow you to commit to longer saw cuts. If you haven't built one before, you'll find all you need here. 
hey, even if you built one, you might enjoy his design choices. Other Bench Adventures is a whistle-stop tour of a few esoteric bench solutions, and it includes things like Japanese workbenches and fancy sawhorses. It's a fun way to finish off the book, and there's a nice touch at the back of the book if you're a SketchUp fan. So that rounds up the ancillary chapters. Now let's get back and have a look at workbenches proper. Each chapter follows a similar pattern, and I'll choose the LVL bench as an example. Chris starts off by discussing how the 18th century bench can be characterised by mass. This in turn leads to them being, well in Chris's words, as portable as a pregnant Apatosaurus. I looked this up. That's a 22-ton dinosaur for those of you who aren't paleontologists. Chris sets out then to build a portable workbench or for modified design from the workbenches using LVL, laminated veneer lumber for those of you unfamiliar with the acronym. It's a chipboard-like substance and along with MDF it's not high on the list of woods that I would have considered for a workbench, so I followed this chapter with some amusement. Megan Fitzpatrick ended up being the guinea pig, and Chris takes you through the process of building this bench. Personally I believe this is a labour of love without some serious shop machinery, but regardless you can follow along as they put the bench together. Like the other chapters focusing on specific benches, you get a comprehensive discussion of the process. I own the Kindle version, so it's difficult to get an exact count of the pages, but I guess that you're getting 10 to 20 pages of discussion. Certainly, there's enough to allow you to build this bench with a high level of confidence. This bench has a vice with a garter in it, and it seems that some care has been taken with the different chapters to focus on different elements of the designs in detail. By the time you've finished with the book, you'll be able to pick up and choose elements from each of the chapters to merge into your final design. This chapter, for example, has a great design for a sly-necked dead man, or a dead woman, as they humorously dubbed it in the diagrams that round off the instructions. At the end there's a cut list and some diagrams, and the chapter concludes with a few pages about the user's experience with each workbench. What they would change, what they were happy with, and what were some of the unintended consequences as a result of the design choices. In this case, they were happy with the top, but they felt that the base was shifty. It seems that the LVL delaminated a bit with the hardware chosen. Chris then gives his observations on how you would go about fixing it if you had to rebuild the bench, but if you understand the problem, you can probably come up with a few alternatives of your own. He also lists the pros and cons, and just like that, we're off to the next design. I don't think the benches that were chosen for this book were coincidental or haphazard or just thrown together. I think that each one of them serves a purpose in illustrating a particular problem, or let's call it the, the key nature of the design. The Shaker workbench is characterised by really stout legs, sturdy mortises, but more than that, the storage which is an integral part of the bench. Placed between the two legs, it certainly provides you with ample storage, but it encounters a few problems if you're going to try and use holdfasts or some of the traditional holding methods. Like the other chapters, what this one does is excels on deconstructing this one component and then rebuilding it from the ground up into something that makes a lot more sense. I think that the modification and the final design is one that you'd be happy with. Look at the end of the book. There's some really, really good suggestions there about how to get around needing storage, but also needing work holding in one bench. One of the things I like is that each of the benches in the book is based on one used by a trusted woodworker. These are not theoretical designs. These are the best attempts at a super bench by a range of experts. Just like Megan's LVL bench is supported by her experience, 
So the 21st Century Workbench is based on Robert Lang's, and the Shaker on Glenn Huey's, etc., etc. So as you work your way through the book, you're getting different perspectives that probably work out to many cumulative lifetimes worth of experience, all supported by Chris's historical research and experience. I still believe that for many, this book is a deep dive into a topic that could be skimmed over without negatively affecting your woodwork. But if, like me, you have a deep fascination with workbench designs, curiosity, and a desire to tinker, this book is an excellent supplementary resource to my chosen workbench book, Chris's other book, Workbenches, From Design and Theory to Construction and Use. So in conclusion, the workbench design book is 264 pages long and it's written by Christopher Schwartz. As at June 2020, it will cost you $22 for the Kindle version and $48 for a physical version. I'm giving the book a 7 out of 10 in the category Workbenches. I like the book a lot, but if you're only choosing one book on Workbenches, I'd suggest Workbenches from Design and Theory to Construction and Use is a better choice. However, if you enjoyed that book and want to dive deeper into this topic, it's a good choice to add to your library. In fact, it may be a book that needs a time interval to truly appreciate it. Get workbenches first. Build one of the four designs as soon as possible. Get out there, go make some furniture. Consider it your starter bench. Then do some hand tool woodworking for a couple of years and come back and buy the workbench design book when you're designing your lifetime bench. Your final bench. <laughs> How I laugh at that concept. The critical insights in this book will mesh nicely with your increased experiences, your preferences, and probably some more advanced questions that you wouldn't have had when you were starting out. So that's it for now, Woodworms. And remember, the best workbench in the world is the one that you're building things on, not one on paper. And keep reading. If you have any comments or suggestions, perhaps a favourite book you'd like to suggest or one you're considering buying that you'd like me to feature on a future episode, drop me an email at handtoolbookreview at gmail.com. If you'd like to support the show, you can find me on Patreon and your contributions will support future episodes. 